Welcome to School of Everything Else. I'm going to start off by playing you a clip from a pretty insightful video by Every Frame of Painting. So I have a question for you. Off the top of your head, could you sing any music from Star Wars? How about James Bond? Harry Potter? My last question. Can you sing anything from a Marvel movie? I'm like the biggest Marvel fan that I know of. I just, I can't think of any of the songs. Um, I should know this, but I don't. Shit. Um. I didn't even know they had, like, theme songs. Why is this? Because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now the highest-grossing franchise in film history. More than Star Wars, more than James Bond, more than Harry Potter. So what is missing from their music? See, now I would immediately have gone... Or... Or Apologies for my horrible flat humming there. You listen for my musical insight, not my singing abilities. So we've established that none of these people that he asked were me, but I'm not your average guy on the street. Now, there's a little false equivalency in their model here. For one thing, Star Wars is 40 years old. Bond is 50 years old. Harry Potter is 15. Marvel is 8. But ultimately, eight years is enough time to establish a theme that everyone will remember. It took Lord of the Rings one viewing of Fellowship to establish multiple examples, so that's no real excuse. Now, Bond has had 25 movies. That John Barry theme has been reworked over and over again across six actors and the changing decades to reflect the times. Potter and Star Wars were both composed by John Williams, who is the 
movie score composer, with two dozen incredible hook themes to his name. Including the hook theme. Don't worry, we're doing a Sound of Gonzo on John Williams, and I'm fairly certain James Batchel will want to be on that one. The marketers of those Star Wars and Potter films used those musical hooks time and time again throughout not just the movies, but every bit of media connected with them. They are themes. They are historical themes. Marvel does not lack great music. They lack the bringing in of John Williams from day one to establish a Marvel Cinematic Universe jingle that plays against all of their media. They started with the same comic-flipping logo as the first wave of superhero movies from the early 2000s. Wow, what a classic, unforgettable theme that is. Try whistling it. Anyway, they updated it with Thor 2 and changed it again with Doctor Strange. That is not how you get musical tenure embedded in popular culture. Marvel, in fact, have great themes. What Marvel lacked back in 2008 and what they are only just beginning to get a handle on is consistency and repetition of those themes. Most of them play only in one movie, and then when the character appears in other films later on, with a few notable exceptions, you do not hear their theme. Isn't that the point of a shared universe? Introducing strong, memorable flavours? If I could go back and tell them in 2008 to give the Incredible Hulk a theme that was just for him, because he needs one, and have that play in Avengers Assemble and Age of Ultron, I totally would. If I could get them to establish the Brian Tyler Iron Man theme back in Iron Man 1 and stick with it, I absolutely would. But if you listen to the soundtracks and watch the movies as often as I do, those themes that are there do stick in your brain. And over the next few hours, I'm going to take you on a musical journey and talk you through them. Hopefully to the point that if every frame of painting asks you this question, you can belt out three or four or ten pieces of music and give them a bunch of footage they can't use. Welcome to a very special Sound of Gonzo on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, here's another one. Uh, it's uh, Thor The Dark World, also the uh, Marvel theme for the next few movies after that. <laughs> Okay, so if I take you back to 2008, when we were just beginning with Iron Man, directed by John Favreau, uh, this is a film where Marvel took quite a few risks. They they weren't going for the sure thing. That's possibly why they didn't establish John Williams. They weren't going for trying to establish themselves within the Hollywood system. If anything, it's almost an independent film, and they had, for the first time, a lot of creative control. Now, the composer was Ramin Javadi, who also did uh, Pacific Rim, which is friggin' fantastic and uh, definitely has a more memorable hook to it. (laughs) 
He also did Slumdog Millionaire. And honestly, the music that I think probably people will remember from Iron Man 1 is ACDC. It starts with Back in Black, and that establishes who Tony Stark is. For some reason, somewhere around the Iron Man 3 era, they stopped using ACDC for Tony Stark, and it just hasn't been present in any of his subsequent appearances. It feels like that was the music associated with younger Tony Stark, but it also feels like they should maybe have continued with it, to establish a musical voice for the character. In exchange, however, you do get the Iron Man 3 theme, which we'll talk about later. Now, there is a link between Raman Javadi's score in this and Pacific Rim. Uh, it includes the guitar work of Tom Morello uh, from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave, one of the greatest guitar smiths who ever lived. He has a very distinct sound and voice to his guitar. And I'm going to play the music from when Tony's prepping the Mark II. Okay, one of the things that um, Every Frame of Painting were discussing was that none of the incidental music really evokes an emotional response uh, in the Marvel movies relative to something like, say, Star Wars or Harry Potter. Uh, speak for yourself. This, you know, all of uh, Tony's just tinkering around in his workshop with uh, Tom Morello playing in the background just got me really sitting up and alive and like, finally, Marvel's here. This next one is driving with the top down, which is when he takes it for a test flight. Just this soaring, pumping, heart-pounding, you know, man and machine finally working in unison. But it's, he's barely hanging on to this one. He, You know, the control of Iron Man is just, just on the cusp. I love this piece. Mm -hmm. 
established that there are actually two melodies at play here. You know how Indiana Jones has that but also well this has but also now that last one I think Tom Morello basically just listened to Metallica's No Leaf Clover from their uh, London Symphony Orchestra album, S&M, and just basically replicated this kind of, like, fantastic... It's kind of... It's like an old Western where, you know, oh, watch out, the Indians are attacking. But it's got this kind of, you know, grandeur. And when played on this snarling guitar, it's just, you know, it really sells the fact that Tony Stark is coming to you in the form of uh, part machine. That, that, that was something that I really wanted them to explore in Iron Man 3. That this guy, being a futurist, has fused himself with machinery. And instead they went the other direction. He actually removed the machinery from himself. That... that that will always be something that bugs me about Iron Man 3. But it's more than just being fused with machinery because there are plenty of cold scores out there that give you a very electronic feel. The guitar has a warmth to it. It has an attitude to it. It, it tells you that Iron Man is not just going to be cold and aloof. He's actually going to get involved. And we are all going to have fun when he does. He's not Vision. There's plenty of uh, beautiful music. In fact, Vision should have a theme. Does anyone else want a Vision movie? Tony's flawed. Tony's human. It's why we like him. But you can take the iron out of the man. You can't take the man out of the iron. Anyway, this is Golmira from when Tony finally stops flying around and using the Iron Man suit as a leisure accessory and actually starts being a goddamn hero. It's when he saves the village and fends off the attacking US planes. If I've done my job right, that tune will now be stuck in your head. So when you think of older Iron Man films, that's the one you'll think of. One last thing from this movie is, in the same way as the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films kept doing their 
Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can, which is obviously very memorable. In fact, they hammered that one home so many times, people can never get it out of their heads, even though it's from a now antiquated 1960s animated show. I say animated show, barely a show. Well, Iron Man got one of those too, and they played the Iron Man jingle couple of times in the movie. First of all, at the uh, in the end credits, uh, they played the actual jingle wholesale as it was. And at the beginning, when you're introduced to Tony Stark and he's supposed to be accepting an award, he's in Vegas. So here's the cartoon version and the jazzy version. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all jets of blaze. He's fighting and smite with repulsor rays. Amazing armor. Also, if any of you can remember Terence Howard as Rhodey, this was his ringtone. And I would be remiss not to feature the music from the end of the first Marvel movie, which was pretty much inevitably going to be a remix of Black Sabbath's Iron Man. But what a scene to go out on. Truth is, I am Iron Man. A few months later, the Incredible Hulk came on the scene. Now, this was them just testing the water with the whole combined universe thing. The uh, tenuous ties to Iron Man were fairly subtle. There were a couple of name drops during computer checks, and at the end, obviously, Tony Stark appears in that stinger sequence. Though they did then tie it forward by bringing in Thunderbolt Ross in Civil War. But other than that, there's no one who really appears in, in The Incredible Hulk who then appears in later Marvel movies. I don't think we're ever going to see Liv Tyler return as Betty Ross. It'd be awkward for Natasha if she did, though. Okay, so the music for The Incredible Hulk was by Craig Armstrong. Now, back in the early 2000s, Danny Elfman did a Hulk theme that was not a million miles off of his uh, Spider-Man theme, but it was a lot more morose.
Now, Armstrong basically made a theme that if you hear it repeatedly, you'll associate that with The Incredible Hulk, but otherwise it doesn't really stick in the head. I'm going to play it for you in its entirety now. This is from the title sequence. But both Elfman and Armstrong seem to be coming from the perspective that the Hulk is not a heroic presence. He's a scary presence and something very difficult to manage. And there is a the looming threat and the, the, the sense of being pursued in this. There's kind of a born sensibility about this whole film. And Banner's running not only from uh, Thunderbolt Ross and the military, but from the Hulk himself. Now, it is very much worth saying that if you search for the Incredible Hulk theme, you don't find this movie first. You find the Incredible Hulk theme from the TV show, which did actually feature briefly in the movie where they sort of alluded to the fact that Bruce was alone and hitchhiking and he is a lonely man. And they... They were referencing this TV show repeatedly throughout this second try at the Hulk. 
and neither version really resonated with audiences. They didn't like the Ang Lee version because Bruce was a maniac who strangled Betty and was totally unrelatable and was really, really boring and Hulk didn't do anything and just jumped about a bit and threw some tanks about. And in this new one, it was Banner being born and being lonely and sad and people can't relate to that unless you contextualise him with the other Avengers. Suddenly, with Avengers, they worked out how the hell to do Hulk. But... What they missed was the opportunity to establish a Hulk theme that made people love Hulk. They made people fear Hulk, but what you needed at this exact point that may actually... And, you know, I think I've mooted this one before, the idea of a a fun Hulk film. But something that just makes the kids cheer for him, the way they cheer Groot and Rocket. Just, you know, Hulk is a terrible presence for Bruce and he's tortured... But we love to see Hulk smash, so convey that in music. And one of the ways you can do that is actually to show Hulk in his element. When we are happy that Hulk is doing what he does, it's because he's finally able to, allowed to, even encouraged to smash the right things. Stay here on the ground. Keep the fighting here. And Hulk. Smash. So considering that the planet Hulk, that's the Hulk that became a gladiator and a champion of the people version, is being talked about for Thor Ragnarok, and I'm hoping we see it, consider that Hulk in a different time and a different place, with a different level of appreciation from other people, is not a monster, but a hero, and give him that ancient, almost tribal kind of thumping, chanting, this is Hulk, so something like this. the opening for Beowulf by Alan Silvestri, who is a composer you're going to hear coming up later. Positioning Hulk as Conan in the modern age actually isn't a bad idea at all. He's like this barbarian. It's all, like, he's not civilized. But the tune itself, the actual theme, the hook, was very, very simple. And that's the sort of thing, like, being able to get people to be able to hum it, that is the key. Getting like a, a tune people can hum and playing it over and over again. Those two things. Now, next up is Iron Man 2. And here Marvel did something incredible. They composed a soundtrack entirely of ACDC and called it the Iron Man 2 soundtrack. It wasn't actually in the film, like one or two of the songs were, and really it was a long awaited compilation of some of ACDC's best. Uh, but all it really did aside from giving us an excellent CD to listen to of just classic rock music, 
was make me think, why didn't they just fill this movie with just ACDC? You'd remember it now. You'd remember it now. Iron Man 2 and all of those great moments in it if it, they used ACDC for everything. It would be kind of 80s, the way Queen did the music for, for Flash and they did the music for Highlander. You know, if you can get ACDC to do a little composition or some, just something. But instead it was almost like, you know, for permission for you guys to make our music synonymous with Iron Man, we're going to release a compilation album for you. But imagine, an, imagine Iron Man versus Thor set to Thunderstruck. for Iron Man 2 was by John Debney so they switched out Ramin Javadi for John Debney and Debney was kind of riffing on Javadi and he failed to make a theme as memorable as the first one and so in a way Iron Man was diluted and the score was sidelined in favor of ACDC a marketing ploy which was only very loosely associated with the overall sound of the film They had Shoot to Thrill at the beginning and Highway to Hell at the end and Back in Black on the uh, album which was in the first Iron Man film. The highlight for me is the Black Widow hallway fight scene which is just this sort of grinding guitar and this is the first time we actually saw uh, Widow fight 
Oh, and this is the first time we saw Widow in a movie at all. And just the impression that Scarlett Johansson made on all of us. I want one. No. But if you listen, it's got that kind of dun, 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 that kind of, again, the, the Indians are attacking feel to it from the original Iron Man. So this one feels the most consistent. And again, Black Widow needs a theme. Something a bit more subtle, a bit more creeping than this. Yeah, she needs a theme, she needs a movie. John Debney's I Am Iron Man theme that played for Iron Man 2 does kind of remind me of uh, late 80s, early 90s, kind of Basil Polidorus, Jerry Goldsmith, Paul Verhoeven style movies like uh, Total Recall or Robocop. And it's got that kind of sci-fi hero who's not afraid to get his hands dirty type excitement just right there on the surface. Love that pile driver sound in there. If you listen to James Horner music, there's a lot of that kind of ding sound, uh, like, a, like a hammer hitting an anvil, which you'd think would be in Thor as well, but it kind of makes the most sense for it to be for uh, the ironmonger, the man who makes these incredible machines and works with metal. Uh, listen for that in the Iron Man 3 theme. It is absolutely vital.
That was, of course, Shoot to Thrill by ACDC for Iron Man 2's fantastic entrance. Iron Man 2 gets a bum rap. See it again. You may find it's actually just really enjoyable. Moving on to a film with an actual genuinely catchy score now. This is Patrick Doyle's introduction to Asgard in Thor. And in it, you will hear the unfolding Thor theme. And this is something I really wish they'd kept. It needed to play in Avengers when Thor turned up. It needed to be in Thor The Dark World, and then Age of Ultron, and then Ragnarok again. This needs to be the music of Thor. Later on, when Thor tries to pull the hammer in the shield compound, it's a time when he's still not learned his lesson and he's not meant to pick up the hammer at that point. So there's this clangorous, emotionally empty, manifest destiny at the beginning of the music. And then it crumbles along with Thor himself as he falls to his knees in the rain as he realizes he's not going to get his way. He's not going to get back what he so arrogantly believed belonged to him. And that's when he starts to break down so that he can become reformed later. 
But in the midst of his despair, and Patrick Doyle's really good at this, listen up for a tiny, thin thread of hope when Mjolnir starts to glow. a little secret promise to us the audience saying Thor will get the hammer just not yet Patrick Doyle did the music for uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire which is I mean all of the Harry Potter scores are wonderful I think we're going to do a Harry Potter one of these you'll hear them then I'm focusing here on how Patrick Doyle has elaborated this theme throughout the movie so you've got it in various places and it's very definitely keyed up with Thor himself this is a bona fide theme up until now we haven't really explored one but this is like Howard Shaw levels of professionalism frankly if Marvel had positioned this correctly it might actually be up there with the Superman theme I kid you not it would certainly be up there with the new Hans Zimmer Superman Man of Steel theme what you're about to hear now is Thor on seeing the destroyer laying waste to this New Mexican town full of innocent people including Jane finally shedding that arrogance confronting the destroyer piloted by Loki and in wonderfully simplistic knights of old fashion offering his life in exchange for theirs 
and Loki kills him. The one thing that gets to us more than the death of a hero, in storytelling at least, is the hero who dies and is reborn, having learned his lesson, which in this case was to stop being such a selfish, aggressive ass. Thor came out in 2011, which was a very difficult year for me. Not quite as difficult as 2016, but pretty damn difficult. And the song on the end credits was Walk by Foo Fighters from their newest album at the time. The themes of starting afresh and being back on your feet really resonated with me for this year. So Thor itself and this song will always have a very special place in my heart. Go! 
Next up we have Captain America the First Avenger and this is by Alan Silvestri, one of the absolute greats of movie scores. 
So this was a first for Marvel on several counts, one being they got an absolute superstar who has thoroughly recognisable scores to his name, like Back to the Future and Predator. And the other major aspect was that this theme, the Captain America theme, is the one that has recurred throughout his appearances. In every single Marvel movie that Steve has appeared, this makes an appearance with him. It is his character. It's perfect and exemplary. Even when things are going extremely dark, like in Winter Soldier and Civil War, this is the reminder of what Cap was and can be. Even that bit in Thor The Dark World, where Loki pretends to be Captain America, they play that jingle. This is the bit at the beginning where he says farewell to Bucky, and obviously, if you love Captain America like we do, you'll know how important Bucky Barnes is to Steve. This next one's going to stick in your head, and for that I apologise. This is the Star Spangled Man song for when Steve is a mascot for America. It's embarrassing and cringeworthy, and it's supposed to be, but it's got a kind of authenticity to it. It feels like this was actually a song, and that Cap was actually real. Oh, 
see how dancing around to that like a performing monkey every single day might break a man but eventually he makes a decision overrides military orders certainly not for the last time in his life and through his actions becomes captain america for real this is the triumphant return from the rescue mission where he saved bucky's life but also proved that given both the body and the responsibility to go with his heart and determination he can actually accomplish what he's always wanted, which is to save lives, especially those he cares about, but also to be exceptionally useful for the right moral cause. Thank you. 
And this is the Captain America march from the very end. Silvestri went out of his way to make this feel like an old Saturday morning adventure, and it has ties to Indiana Jones, most definitely. But the instrumentation he's using, the horns and those military drums, are almost always used to give us that sense of an idealized version of America with virtuous, forthright leaders. We are on to 2012's Avengers Assemble. Now, this is Alan Silvestri again, and this is the one I always cite when people go, oh, there's no memorable Marvel themes. This is the most memorable Marvel theme. Everyone saw this film, and I would think that at the very least, if you played it to a complete average Joe on the street, they would say it was to do with Marvel at least. This is the beginning when Agent Hill's like, well, who are we going to call? We got all kinds of Lokis. And Nick Fury's like, ah, I've been waiting for several years to do this. Call the Avengers. This next scene is the helicarrier where it transforms from a battleship to an airborne 
battleship. Still an absolutely breathtaking sequence. Now, on the Avengers commentary, Joss Whedon says that at the point when Stark lands at Stark Tower near the end, just before the big New York battle, and chats with Loki, there's a, there's a, that wonderful bit where he lands on the machine that disassembles and removes his now seriously damaged armour, and he's walking into his house on the upper level while keeping one eye on Loki, who's got an eye on him, walking into his house from the other side on a slightly lower level. The final version of the film, it's it's just some you know fantastic score from uh, Alan Silvestri, but Whedon wanted to use the music from Once Upon a Time in the West, which sounds like this. I don't know about you guys, but it's a bit too tulips from Amsterdam for me. Now, maybe he was thinking of a different piece of music from Once Upon a Time in the West, but for me, that just doesn't get it. For me, stay with Ennio Morricone and go with For a Few Dollars More. This bit was actually in uh, Kick-Ass, when Hit-Girl infiltrates the bad guy's building. But just, when you're next watching The Avengers, and these two amazing charismatic actors are loping towards their confrontation... Picture this song in your head, this sort of classic sort of gunmen sizing each other up, and mentally picture how even better that bit in the movie would have been with a little Morricone. Go the Tarantino route, you know, just throw in some classic music from an already existing movie. (laughs) 
Avengers finally come together in New York immediately after Hulk has punched out that enormous Chitauri space slug thing. The whole subtext of the film is, and Bob Chipman pointed this out, that for many, many years people were like, well, this isn't going to work. So obviously the council in Avengers are like, well, this isn't going to work. The Avengers can't possibly come together to accomplish anything. They're, they're too crazy, too disparate. They, they won't work as a team. Does not play well with others. And then to see them actually do that, fulfilling Marvel's promise, fulfilling the hopes of seeing multiple heroes on screen, all from different movies. Not just there, but each one complementing the rest, strengthened by being part of a team. This was just orgasmic. To continue the sex theme, and I'm going to run with this one. The end of the Avengers, after Stark has woken back up again and decided for them to all go to eat shawarma, um, the way Sylvester plays the sort of the quiet, twangy guitar is almost like um, the post-orgasmic chill just lying in bed with, I suppose in this case it would be six or seven other incredible people, all just having shawarma or a cigarette and just going, wow, that was, that was amazing. And then just, this is like all the Avengers sort of gearing up to go their separate ways, but at the same time, they've achieved something incredible here. And this is not the end. This is the beginning. And so, you know, when it sort of gathers itself up for the sort of finale, it's like, let's all go again, shall we? And that's how I felt.
Live to Rise is the song at the end of the Avengers, and I do wonder why they kind of stopped doing this. It was... It just seems like not for every Marvel movie, but for a lot of them, they are very apropos to having a song made about them. Not just a song stuck on the end like Walk, uh, which was, you know, grammatically appropriate for Thor, but one that was actually made for that film. A My Heart Will Go On, if you will. And it's very appropriate that uh, Chris Cornell sings this one because the very first Iron Man trailer featured Cochise by Audio Slave. So Tom Morello had scored Iron Man. But now Chris Cornell got to sort of, I suppose, be the voice of the entire Avengers team.
For the beginning of Iron Man 3, Shane Black selected a song that would deliberately annoy people and, if they were of the right age, send them back to roundabout New Year's 1999, when we were just taking the millennium, just to give you a a time frame when Tony Stark was still a complete dick, several years pre-Iron Man, and it was a simpler time with... Bad music. Yo, listen up, here's the story About a little guy that lives in a blue world And all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue Like him inside and outside Blue his house with a blue little window and a blue corvette And everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around Cause he ain't got Pay attention, 007. This is the real Iron Man theme. This is the Brian Tyler Iron Man 3 theme that kicks off the main titles after the prologue. And in doing so, also kicks off Marvel's Phase 2, and now Disney are in control. There's a definite shift. Now, this, if you listen very carefully, makes little returns in Age of Ultron and Civil War. It's the closest Tony Stark now has to a theme, and if... We're lucky, Marvel will ensure their composers reprise it again in, say, Avengers Infinity. This one obviously very much inspired by the Avengers, but it has its own incredible power to it, and I love the kind of the pile driver, hammer on anvil, that's what I mentioned earlier. When I listen to this, I can't not think very vividly of Iron Man.
going to immediately follow that with the end title sequence, which is set up to be kind of a goodbye to Iron Man, like, a, you know, wasn't that a great trilogy? But the way things ultimately shaped up, Iron Man 3, in all seriousness, Iron Man 1 is the first Iron Man film, Iron Man 2 is Avengers Assemble, Iron Man 3 is Age of Ultron, Iron Man 4 is Civil War. Those are the four films where something very important happens to Tony. 2 and 3, while 3 has an occasionally very sharp, ultimately far too minimalist exploration of PTSD, the way it caps off does not fit with the rest of the MCU. If Iron Man 3 is supposed to be a film about Tony Stark hanging up his superhero status and deciding he's still Iron Man, he just doesn't need the suit, he doesn't really need the arc reactor, it only symbolised weakness. An inability to help himself get better from his sickness. Its conclusions would ultimately be confounded. But... This funky high-tempo version of the now-established Iron Man theme is a really great way to make it stick in your head. Disney Marvel kept Brian Tyler on to do the score for Thor The Dark World. As I played at the beginning, he composed their new Marvel title card. And it also, strangely, is the same theme as 
Thor The Dark World. So it's almost like their weakest movie is their badge of honor. So maybe that's why they changed it. But even though this is probably the weakest Marvel, the music's still thrilling and thunderous. I wish they'd kept the Patrick Doyle theme from before. I almost, I almost resent this score. It is great. I wish they'd kept the original. But since they didn't reprise that in Avengers, it was almost like, well, phase two, fresh start. And then they didn't reprise this in Age of Ultron. So, I mean, time will only tell what happens in Ragnarok. The second and only other piece I'm going to play you from Thor The Dark World, Brian Tyler very much was riffing on uh, kind of a gladiator feel to this one. It's got this sort of ancient Greece, ancient Rome flavor. And this is during the funeral. And the fact that it's got um, very prominent female choral vocals and it's tied to scenes of mourning between both heroes and villains it feels like a quiet, reflective, very personal fragile moment for otherwise immortal beings but there's this amazing majesty of space attached to it as well this is into eternity
For Captain America the Winter Soldier, Henry Jackman was brought in. Now, this guy is one to watch or one to listen to if you're really into film scores. Uh, he was behind Wreck-It Ralph, uh, X-Men First Class. He's really, really talented. Excellent at a sort of a synth orchestral full-bodied score. Not a million miles away from people like uh, Harry Gregson Williams, although slightly less Hans Zimmer sounding. Now, for Winter Soldier, there was a driving, pulsing, espionage flavour. And this is the Lemurian star from the beginning, where you finally got to see, you finally got to see Captain America kicking wholesale ass. It takes you through the assault on the ship, uh, and uh, it culminates in uh, Cap's battle with Bartok the Leaper. And you can hear the exact moment where he leaps into the air and does a reverse somersault kick, because he didn't skip leg day, because the music goes... Just listen out for it. Oh, fans of Metal Gear Solid, like, like I say, with Harry Gregson Williams, th this feels very much like that. Now, this establishes the Winter Soldier theme, but those horns that were so optimistic in the first Avenger have now become these kind of baleful war clarions as Steve enters this murky shades of grey environment where there are threats around every corner.
This is one of my favorite scores to listen to, especially when, if you're playing video games, especially anything with free running, like Dying Light works really well with this. It's exhilarating and totally indelible for my brain. Just these, the, the dun, dun, dun themes. That, that's why it's, it's just so mystifying to me when the, the, it is declared, there aren't any memorable Marvel themes. When Fury unveils Project Insight, we get to see not one, but three helicarriers in this enormous hangar. But rather than just the majesty of the reveal in the Avengers track of the uh, helicarrier, there's a sort of uneasiness about this reveal. It's the reveal of a steel empire. It's This isn't freedom. This is fear. These ships confer the ability to spy on everyone and take out anyone who might, just might, cause trouble. And it even takes away the decisions of humans and, and turns that over to computers which mathematically and statistically work out who's going to be a danger. And they mention Stephen Strange before he's even Doctor Strange. That's how terrifying this algorithm is. It, just that whole section laying down the awesome power that's about to be ha placed in the hands of what turn out later to be Hydra. But ultimately, and here's the thing, even if it hadn't been Hydra, the corruptibility of men in power is such that this kind of force shouldn't be placed in the hands of anyone. And that's Steve's point. And this also leads into Civil War. Now what's coming up is the Winter Soldiers theme, which sounds like a combination of a freight <laughs> freight car, freight train, and an armored car barreling towards you. Something that is unstoppable. This tearing, harsh scream of metal. He's a Terminator, and this is appropriately unnerving music. There's also something very bird of prey about that metal screaming. It sounds like a metal hawk, or indeed a falcon, just lending that Winter Soldier the idea of just this predator who's out there and will not stop. So this is the causeway, which is that fight that takes place under and around the freeway bridge with the Winter Soldier attacking all of our heroes and eventually facing down Steve, who pulls off his mask to reveal...
in the finale as the uh, helicarriers are going down and Steve has dressed in the old uniform of Captain America to remind Bucky who he was. Ultimately, during the fight, he drops his shield and he allows Bucky to beat the living crap out of him, effectively laying down his life, laying down his weapon and his shield to show this living weapon that he's not a threat and actually has something invested in he, the Winter Soldier. And this track is called To the End of the Line. And just listen to the the descending notes at the uh, end when it, it cuts to the piano. This is when the helicarrier has exploded and uh, Steve's dropped into the Potomac. This is the sad reality of Captain America. Once he's dropped the shield and once he's dropped the fight, there's, uh, there's a small, lonely man in that uniform. And after a bit of Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye. And my God. If you haven't heard What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, his album, remedy that right now. One of the greatest albums of all time. Trouble Man, also pretty good. 
But I'd have said what's going on if I was Falcon, and I'd just been told on your left 16 times by Steve. I'm checking trouble, sugar, moving down the line. I come up hard, but that's okay, cause trouble, man. After that, we get a reprise of a... This is for the end titles where it's like, okay, when do we start for the finale? It's a reprise of a piece of music that was actually in the middle of the film when Steve breaks out of S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ and uh, escapes across the bridge on a motorbike and takes on a uh, Quinjet. It's a brilliant sequence, but I'm using it here. This is one of my favorite pieces of Marvel music ever. It's absolutely brilliant it's short it's simple it's punchy it's to the point and it uses and reprises those same eight notes that were in to the end of the line the same eight notes that feature throughout the winter soldier this is the theme that it's the same descending eight notes it's so catchy it's simple but there's layers of complexity in there rather like captain america himself and likewise, it's dramatic and heroic. Breathtaking. Now, where do I start with Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, the score is by Tyler Bates, and it's perfectly serviceable. Uh, the soundtrack is really where it excelled. This is one of the greatest soundtracks of a movie ever made, ever put together, simply because it's so personal to what's actually going on. It gives it that flavor that nothing else had before, and that th things like Suicide Squad limply attempted to copy. 
And the, you know, the, the a lot of the attitude of Suicide Squad was put together by marketing teams and advertising teams who really just didn't get the the, the awesome mix volume one was put together by Star Lord's mother just before she died for young Peter Quill to tell the story of her meeting his father and his conception. And that's never said in the movie, but it's one of the subtexts. And, you know, all of the, uh, the the songs chosen, when played in the order she put them, tell a little story. And they have, you know, lyrics and themes that, that, that reflect what she was going through at the time. It's wonderful, wonderful music. And so many catchy songs. When you hold me so tight you let me know everything's all right Suicide Squad, it's just a grab bag of songs that don't necessarily go together. They're all from completely different eras. Some of them are remixes, some of them aren't. The original version of You Don't Own Me features in the movie, and then there's the new cover version that features on the soundtrack because it's trendier and the kids want it. It's absolute marketing bullshit. There's a sort of a limp attempt to attach certain songs to certain characters, but around about halfway through, they start playing Spirit in the Sky from the trailers of Guardians of the Galaxy, the song that really stuck in people's heads and should have been in the final film. It was going to be when Peter was being taken off the planet and wasn't. So here we are. A thief. Two thugs. An assassin and a maniac. But we're not gonna stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together. Partners. Are you telling me the fate of 12 billion people is in the hands of these criminals? Oh, yeah. I look around, you know what I see? Losers. 
Life's giving us a chance to do what? Something good? Something bad? A bit of both. Oh, what the hell? I don't got that long a lifespan anyway. It's on the soundtrack. It's on it canonically, it's on the Awesome Mix Volume 1. And they fucking played that in Suicide Squad, but for no reason. For no reason in the film. It was just there. Because they were getting into a helicopter to go into the city to then do the next level of the video game they were doing. It doesn't mean anything. Now I'm going to play you two themes from the Guardians of the Galaxy. One is from the kiln, the uh, prison that they get sent to. And this actually ends up being the Guardians theme. And listen very carefully for that. The similarities here with the Avengers theme. It's got that same kind of which sort of sort of runs with And the way this builds up is very similar to that moment when Banner walks towards the giant Chitauri flying Leviathan, you know, looking back at Steve and says, That's my secret cap. I'm always angry. And then boom, you get the Avengers theme. And then boom, you get the Guardians theme. Here, the Guardians are finally fully formed. And uh, it's actually relatively early on, sort of middle-ish of the movie. Uh, But it is then reprised at the end when they uh, join up to take down Ronan. And if you listen carefully, the Guardians themselves, through this theme, cannot hide their innate heroism, despite the fact that they're disreputable scumbags. This was the piece of music that I really focused on for when I was finding my Princess Thieves theme. With Guardians of the Galaxy being a major touchstone for that project, I needed to get something that felt similarly epic and heroic and dangerous. (laughs) 
actually, I'm going to play you three themes because this next one's going to be in two parts. It's Groot, and it's the Groot Spores moment. Tyler Bates deliberately went for a sort of a, a synth soundtrack to make this uh, feel more 80s, but this piece of music, it feels like something out of Mass Effect, but it's so hopeful and it's so gentle. And at the same time, it's wondrous. This is Groot throwing out all those little tiny glowing motes into the darkness to light the way. Now, if you're about my age, you might remember the TV show animated series of Dungeons and Dragons. And you may remember the end theme. I can't not hear that. It's a piece of music that says, you don't get to go home yet, but at least you're still together. And I hear that, and it's combination of hope and melancholy in the Groot theme. And I'm going to follow that immediately up with the Groot cocoon, where this big tree reminds everyone that for all their bickering and arguing and anger and fear, there's now a very simple, very strong bond between them all.
Next up, we have Danny Elfman, who, of course, laid down the incredible Spider-Man score way back in the early 2000s. Uh, And this is his work on Age of Ultron. And what he's done, he's blended... At the beginning, you'll hear the Captain America theme from Alan Silvestri. There's the new Age of Ultron theme, which sounds very (laughs) Spider-Man-ly. Age of Ultron gets a bum rap. For me, uh, it now stands after Civil War as the one time that the Avengers, the middle time, when the Avengers weren't forming up, they weren't splitting up, they were still a hot mess, as Tony Stark puts it, but this is them trying to be their best, despite themselves. So it's a roller coaster Danny's taking us on. He's got, you know, the the, the conflict of uh, Ultron sort of working away in the background. And it's it's fun and cartoonish rather than sort of this sort of baleful, serious, you know, Russo brothers threat. It's uh, it's it's almost comforting when you look at Age of Ultron. And then blended in is the Avengers heroic theme from Alan Silvestri. But first, it uh, falls to Captain America to bring together his new team and go, Avengers...
now for Ant-Man, they actually followed my advice, which is to take a piece of music from a previous movie. And in this case, they took a piece of music from a previous movie that had been taken from a previous movie, Tarantino style. But it was actual Tarantino, and this is Roy Ayers, I believe from Coffee, which uh, Tarantino featured in Jackie Brown, which retroactively featured in Ant-Man, so you got this thing disappearing up inside its own reference. And in case you're wondering, the difference between them doing this and Suicide Squad doing that is that this piece of music plays in perfectly to Ant-Man, and the average person going to see Ant-Man isn't really going to have seen Jackie Brown and almost certainly won't have seen Coffee, and they won't necessarily associate it in that direct way. Whereas shoving Spirit in the Sky into Suicide Squad, like the perennial turducken, is very basically, very simply playing off people's very recent nostalgia for a great movie that came out that they are trying to leech the success of. But what great, sort of fun, funky heist music. notice that there's a scuttling kind of anti-sound to that and uh, if you listen to the main theme for Ant-Man it starts off really fun and small and unassuming and you're like oh no bother here it's just a little ant and then suddenly it turns into full-sized Ant-Man and punches you out and then turns back into little Ant-Man scuttles off and then punches back again it's very kind of like fun James Bond sort of espionage going on. And Mission Impossible as well. There's that uh, kind of Lalo Schifrin thing going on here with the uh, you know the whole focus of the movie being sneaking into facilities where you shouldn't be to steal stuff. It's great. And uh, this is by Christoph Beck.
And one of my favorite musical moments in the film isn't actually the score, but it's the point when they're fighting in a briefcase and there's an iPhone bouncing around and Yellow Jacket bounces off the menu button, which activates voice control, which he hadn't intended because he's just trying to kill Ant-Man, and uh, shouts, I'll disintegrate you! And the iPhone obligingly plays the album Disintegration by The Cure, which starts with Plain Song. And this wonderful moment of sort of slow-mo, tiny men fighting with, with this sort of blaring in the background as diegetic music, and it's kind of breathtaking. Now we're on phase three and civil war kicking the whole thing off and uh, I'm going to focus on the Winter Soldier here. I played the Causeway theme earlier, but Bucky, uh, Bucky has his own theme and Hulk doesn't. The Winter Soldier has a theme. It's not nice to listen to, but it's totally there and it's oppressive and aggressive and it speaks of a man who's been tortured and controlled. And it's this ferocious, unyielding force you do not want stalking you, you do not want to go up against. So this is the Winter Soldier theme from the original Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the second film. And it's Henry Jackman who also did the music for Civil War. They tried to bring back as many people as possible from that second movie because they got it just right. And now at the beginning of Civil War, 
This is the Siberian Overture, and this is the Winter Soldier theme reintroducing you to the character to show you that this is a major part of what is pushing forwards this movie. And it's creeping rather than blaring because this is prior to an attack. It's a nice misdirect as well because everyone, you know, suspected it like, you know, oh, watch out, the many Winter Soldiers will be released. But it was never about the threat of what the Winter Soldier program could do, but about the terrible things that it already had done. To Bucky, to Tony. This next one is Ancestral Call, and this is when Black Panther is introduced, and my god, what an introduction. Uh, this next one's called A New Recruit, and it's when Tony goes to get Peter Parker on board, and you can hear just, for, oh, this is so wonderfully delicate, you can hear just underneath, there's strains of the Iron Man theme from Iron Man 3, that's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And uh, there's also little, just little bits of the Avengers theme. That, da, da, na, na. It's just in there, but it's so quiet, and de- it's so delicate, people don't even notice but it's there.
This next one I just want to play for you so that you can appreciate the unsung art of trailer music. This is music made for trailers that's not specifically in the movies, but really helps to inform on the actual final product. This is Sharks Don't Sleep by Dean Valentine, and it's got that slow gathering, you know, momentums happening here, and then it sort of just it, it rises to this crescendo while the momentum's carrying on. It just sums up the the conflict of civil war so well. You're thinking of Marvel heroes clashing and action sequences from the movies and scenes where characters are thinking really, really hard about something and looking down and then they look up because that's what it's supposed to make you think of. And I'm going to play you two tracks, one after the other. Closure 
followed by Cap's Promise. This is the tragic, heartbreaking finale. It's such a sad note to leave everything on after after all this. And people at the time were saying, you know, after this war, nobody died, and so it doesn't have consequences. It has consequences. There are more subtle, more painful, deep-rooted, and myriad consequences between friends that this the events of this film cause. You know, we can all unite in grieving over a fallen ally, but never underestimate how damaging a broken friendship can be. What a loss that is. And the follow-up song is uh, Cap's Promise, and this has the Civil War theme, which is very simple and incorporates the descending eight notes of Winter Soldier, uh, but it's uh, the... Da, 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 da. Marvel always positioned this as a trilogy and that this would really round out the Steve Rogers story, at least for this stage in his life, and it does. The original Captain America theme reprises throughout this, and we've seen this guy go from being this innocent, uh, well-meaning kid in the 1940s to just being broken by the modern era. And that scene where he bonds with Peter, he's meeting the newest generation of thin, lonely, bullied kid from New York who has no responsibility but takes it anyway. Takes a stand because he can't live with himself otherwise. So at the end where Steve drops his shield, drops his responsibilities because he took his own personal friendships over his duty, that, my friend, is Consequences.
And with Doctor Strange came the brand new Marvel fanfare. Let's see how long this one lasts. Also, I noticed Spider-Man wasn't on it, so I wonder if that's going to change when the Spider-Man film turns up. Okay then, so we're finally now at the end. Shall we go back to that first question and let him field that to you guys? My last question. Can you sing anything from a Marvel movie? Now, I barraged you with tunes, some of which you'll remember, some of which may just have bounced straight off your brain, but three of them... I think we can all remember now. So let's start with Captain America. How's that one go, folks? Okay, Avengers theme. Finally, the Iron Man 3 theme. Next week, we're covering The Little Mermaid as we begin our deep dive into Disney's treasure trove of a 90s renaissance. I just want to thank a fellow named Gil Haim McSteinberg for forwarding me that Every Frame of Painting video we started with. It got me thinking, it challenged and inspired me, and from those weeks of deliberation came this show. So thank you, Every Frame of Painting, and thank you, Gil. 
School of Movies is kept alive through the Patreon, so if you loved this episode, why not join the gang and get access to a ton of bonus material while you're at it? Every supporter got to listen to our 90-minute show on the movies of 2016, which won't be on the regular podcasting feed, so do not miss out on gold like that. Jump onto the Patreon, throw in a buck or five, you get juicy extra stuff, we get to pay the bills, everyone gets not one, but two world-class podcasts a week. And because of that, everybody's happy. Oh, and check out my Movie A Day articles. You don't have to pay anything on the Patreon for that. You can literally just check out the School of Movies website and uh, click on Movie A Day. And it's literally, as it sounds, it's not really a review. It's more just my thoughts on the movie and a little bit of analysis thrown in there. And most of them are think pieces. But it means I get to talk about movies you would never hear me talking about on this show. It's my New Year's resolution. We'll see if I can get to 2017 doing one a day. But I've, I've done quite a few so far. I like him. A lot of other people seem to like him too, so uh, check him out. Oh, especially check out the review on Ninja Terminator. That movie has to be read about to be seen to be believed. And I'm going to leave you on Strange Days Ahead by Michael Giacchino, which is the end credits music for Doctor Strange. And let's throw in Master of the Mystic end credits as well, because that somehow manages to reprise all these themes but with this kind of chilled 70s rock vibe, which somehow segues into Muse. It's quite astonishing. And it's such a shame people missed it by running out during the credits. And he's made it sound, uh, if you listen carefully, it sounds like the new Star Trek. It's got that same kind of thing going on there. And the what he does with sitars and horns and things in this score, and the harpsichord, there's not enough harpsichord in movies, or the fact that there isn't enough harpsichord in movies makes this unique, and it feels like it connects with Stephen Strange himself. And it's this exciting new journey ahead into Phase 3 with new heroes and new worlds to explore.
But that being said, we did find one Marvel theme that still got this reaction. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes Spider-Man. <laughs> is, uh, is he strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing on a web? Check the luck overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a stream of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, welcome friends, he's ignored, action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up, wherever there's a bang-up, you'll find the Spider-Man. <laughs> That was incredible. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.